But the Pharisees, who don't believe he is God, have more faith that he is going to rise up out of the grave than his own disciples. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hi, this is God is Real, God is Good, and this is our Easter special. So Kylie and I talked about it, and we decided that for our Easter special, we were going to have me and Kylie and Dale and Trent all talk about Easter, and specifically, you could have finished your thought. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know what she was going to say, but um, we were just, I just wanted to say, we picked Dale and Trent because um, with them, we help run a youth group in our community, and we've been talking about like why Christ died in a series of an 11 weeks thing about, you know, Christ died for our righteousness, Christ died for our freedom, forgiveness, all of those things. So, um, so we just decided to like bring them in so that we could talk about that more in depth, like among us, because it's something we've all been studying. Um, and then, so yeah, they're here. You guys have already heard Trent's episode. What was Trent's episode called? Somebody Ah, it's Trent's favorite verse. Uh, it's James four seventeen. A man who knows good and does not do it for him is it a sin? But I think it's uh, for him who knows good and good and does yeah. not do it. For him that knows good. I think for him that's who it. knows good. Thank yeah. Right. And so there we go. That's Trent's episode. Dale has yet to um, schedule his appointment to record his. He has agreed, but he is not scheduling the time. <laughs> Wait, call him out. <laughs> that's it's okay. It's okay. His episode will be up at some point in the future. Is the point. So he's he's the real guest speaker. He's the real guest. <laughs> he's the real Trent's guest. The regular yeah, Trent's, Trent's the veteran. <laughs> in this scenario. According to you. <laughs> Anyways, let's all start off with a prayer. I'm praying, correct? Yes. Okay. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all together here today to um, have this chance just to talk about your story and talk about what you went through and just what we can learn from that experience. Um, please send your Holy Spirit to be with us as we talk, be with our words, guide our thoughts, and guide our minds. Just send your Holy Spirit to be with the four of us as we record this episode, and let it just be a blessing to all of our listeners, and um, just help them open their ears um, so that they may be able to learn from this. Amen. 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 Okay, Easter. That's what we're here to talk about. I'm really prepared. Do we want to start by just like maybe reading something? Yeah, let's start by just starting in Gethsemane. Let's read a little bit about, like, the start of, like, Jesus' like, final last two days on Earth. Okay. Somebody got a version of Gethsemane they want to read? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we can look at, like, Luke chapter 22. Perfect. That's where my Bible is open to. Awesome. I really like the account of Luke, mostly because once it gets to the point of like they're actually in the garden, um, you'll see Judas is very particular to mention in verse 47. While he was still speaking, Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, right, this crowd being the, the soldiers, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And none of the other gospel accounts actually record that phrase um, that I remember. But, yeah, like, you were betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. You know, I actually really like 
I mean, I don't like that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though. The fact that it highlights that, you know, I think it, it actually speaks some volumes. Um, the, the amount of deception. I don't know what you guys think. Mm. Yeah, just like the thought about like the kiss. Like, I don't know like what their culture is around kissing. And like, obviously, like we wouldn't see two guys kissing each other, like even on the cheek or whatever today. But just like, like we see that as something like very intimate and very personal. Like that means like I have a very close relationship to mm -hmm. you if I come up and I kiss you. Yeah. But, you know, he just takes a very personal like part of him in that interaction. And he's like, and that's like what you're saying. He's like, that's what I'm going to portray you with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where, where it's at. I don't know the address or where this verse is at, but it talks about um, when you greet one another, greet one another with a kiss, a holy you kiss know, yeah. with a holy kiss. And I think it's, it's amazing that Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed with a kiss. No, even though their culture you know, just knows that's how you greet one another. But Jesus knows that he's being betrayed by Judas with this kiss. Well, like, even in cultures where they're more, like, touchy-feely than Americans and, like, you know, they kiss each other. Like, I was in Cuba. And, like, all the women would always kiss each other on the cheeks. And, like, the men would kiss you on the cheek. But the men rarely ever kissed each other on the cheek because it was so intimate, even in their culture where it was more touch and more feel. And, like, they just, like, touched people. And, like, that was still, like intense intimacy between two males so i'm sure that in this culture as well that even though it's like more common it's still showing a high level of intimacy and yet this is what judas decides ah this is how i'm going to show that you take him and you drag him away to be murdered right. to just go greet him like he normally would greet him in any other time or how the other disciples who really do care about him would typically greet him mm -hmm. Just, like, while on the topic of, like, Judas and Judas betraying him, like, while studying this out, I don't know exactly where it is in Luke, but, like, while studying this out, something that, like, really stood out to me was that, like, Judas betrayed Jesus for, like, 30 pieces of silver, which Camus told me was the price of a slave, but, like, I was, like, you know, that price, like, it doesn't really matter, like, what exactly 30 pieces of silver is equal to today or, like, that it's the price of a slave or whatever— it just, like, was it, like, you know, like, 30 pieces of silver compared to what Jesus is actually worth and compared to, like, what he actually does for us, like, that price is so low. Like, there could be no price worth selling Jesus out. But, like, yet, we in our personal lives, like, we are still, like, giving Jesus up for far less than what he's, like, actually worse, worth, if I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, I think it's Joseph in the Old Testament. He was sold for for 30 pieces of sold to to his uh, to his slave owners. Yeah. By the by, price of a slave. Right, mm -hmm. by his brothers. And all the time when I think about like Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, I mean, he was sold just as a man, basically, like mm -hmm. a normal man, but he was totally different than any man that's ever walked this earth. And it's you know, I, I, I like to think like I wouldn't do that. You know, there's no way I would sell Jesus for for 30 pieces of silver but i have a hard time disobeying the word mm -hmm. you know we, we all just have a hard time just just being faithful you know so it's easy for me to be like judas oh my you're why would you do that you know but we do it daily yeah you know? but in different ways yeah and it's not like you know like, like you're saying we all want to think like we wouldn't do that but it's like every time like we choose something over god like you know like oh 
I'm going to watch this movie instead of <clears throat> reading my Bible or something. And not that we have to, like, like beat ourselves into reading the Bible and, like, make it the only thing we ever do with our life. But just, like, you know, every time we choose anything over, like, time with God or over God or, like, we give ourselves up to something we know God's telling us not to be. Like you're saying, that's, like, us selling Jesus out for the price of 30 pieces of silver. And just to change the language a little, um, but, like, Judas obviously valued that money over Jesus. And so, like, when you're saying, like, when we go watch that movie or we do something and we separate ourselves from God, we're valuing that over him and over his life and the price that he paid for us. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm trying to say. Thank you for verbalizing. He's the treasurer. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. He has some money. He was in charge. <clears throat> It's so funny, though, because, like, Judas was, like, the one that everyone always thought, like, highly of. Like, he was the one that was always deemed worthy. Everybody else was, like, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. And, like, they weren't people we would have picked. But we might have actually picked Judas. And he ends up being the one that betrays Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, too. In the Last Supper, there was... I think a point where he said, one of you is going to betray me, and they all started to discuss amongst themselves, well, who's going to be the one? And Jesus actually said at one point, like, the one that I give this morsel of bread to, he will be the one, and then gives it to Judas. And they still didn't understand that it was going to be Judas, which either means that the disciples were really that dim, <laughs> or that Judas was, it was so unexpected that Judas would actually do that. Mm. Yeah. I think partially was their dim, was, were dim because Jesus would like specifically say, I'm going to be crucified. Well, not crucified, but like, I'm going to die and it's going to be awful. And they're like, what? I can't hear you. You were saying something about how you're setting up your kingdom on earth. Okay. I was too busy thinking about the fast food restaurants, <laughs> all the bread and the, the bread, you know, the breaking of the bread, the thing that you do. So. Yeah. And you, I mean, like in like after that, in like the, the last supper too, Jesus like also tells like Peter, you're going to deny me. Right. And they just don't want to hear anything that he's saying. Cause yeah. they're like, Peter's like, Mm-mm, God, I'm our Jesus. Mm-mm, Jesus, I'm gonna like do all of this. Just watch, and and he does exactly what Jesus says. I wonder what uh, Peter's emotions were when he said, when Jesus said, "I tell you, Peter, that the rooster will not grow this day until you have denied me three times that you that you know me." You know, and I, I wonder because it doesn't tell us what Peter says afterwards. I just remember, I I bet he was just amazed, like, "Oh my goodness, he's right." You know, and all these all these disciples, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna end up running away pretty soon. They're all gonna be denying them, you know, and you know, it might not be by by their words, but also by their actions. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all gonna start running away from Jesus. They're all gonna start running away when when um, the soldiers come and uh, come and get Jesus. So, you know, it really shows that no one's perfect in this story. Not even not even Peter, mm-hmm. you know. But the only one that is perfect is Jesus, and he's the one being betrayed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny if you like look at the accounts and you read them, like his disciples left him, like his most zealous followers, and like all the people you think would stand strong and you know brazen their swords and make it worth. But like you see that the women are the ones standing at the cross. They're the ones weeping, and they're the ones that still love him and are actually standing there for that moment when everyone else has fleed. I think, like, also, though, we see, like, you know, like, we might gather all these friends, like, amongst people and stuff, but, like, sometimes, you know, like, we are at those moments where we feel like we're really alone, 
even though if we have all these friends and like we can just kind of see like through this like you know sometimes we only have god like even if we've worked to make sure that we have friends sometimes when it comes down to it all we really have is god because that's all jesus had in the garden of gethsemane and as he was walking to the cross and i think that's like what's sad about like this whole moment is he was being separated from god because like god's like full unveiled presence can't be in the presence of sin and Jesus was taking our sin upon us, so he was separating himself from God. And so in this moment, where all he had was God, he for the first time in his life, he couldn't feel God's presence. Or, um, you know, just to back, back off what Kylie was talking about, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you really see that God is the, is the only one that's beside Jesus. You know, while, while Jesus goes off and prays, his disciples are sleeping. You know, when they're supposed to be keeping watch, you know? And so you start to see this this decline almost in, in their walk with Christ to the point where when when it comes to the point where God, Jesus really probably needs them the most, mm-hmm. you know, they're not there for him. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not faithful to him. And so, yeah, and I remember when I when I read that, um, where Jesus comes back and says, can't you not uh, like keep watch for one hour? And I'm like, it's a son of God. You know, if the Son of God told me that, you could, I'm a, I'll hang upside down on a tree in order to stay awake if I need, you know, like, but, but of, of course I could say I would do that all day long, but am I even faithful in my, in my daily walk with Christ? Yeah. That's, that's the question we need to ask. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, just think about, like, what's the best way to fall asleep quickly, but read the Bible? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real. You know, or sit like, down yeah, I hate and... to say that, but in reality, yeah, you start reading the Bible. It's like, wow, I'm that makes me really tired. Yeah. Or so. if you sit down and pray, close your eyes, like I just go pray. Yeah, yeah. you want to fall asleep? <laughs> so, sounds like you might have done that in church once. <laughs> no, I, my mistake is always I lay in bed and I'm like, I'm gonna pray while laying here in bed. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> Lord Jesus, uh, I'm out. <laughs> So no wonder why they keep falling asleep. Yeah, they need to open their eyes, maybe. I think, like, just to my point of opening our eyes, I think sometimes we get too, like, stuck in this routine of, like, oh, you have to pray on your knees with your hands folded. But, like, I mean, I I think we all know it to an extent. Like, you can pray while driving with your eyes open. You can pray with your eyes open even if, like, you don't have an excuse. Like, oh, I'm driving, so my eyes have to be open. But, like, even if there's no excuse, you're just sitting in your room. If you want to pray with your eyes open, like... Sometimes it's okay, guys. Like, you don't have to be, like, stuck in this. This is how somebody told me to do it. Yeah. It's like the formal way and the informal way. Yeah. In but church, both are totally okay. Yeah. In church, maybe close your eyes because they told you to, but, I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe. <laughs> Pray without seeing Yeah, but we already know yeah. that half of you don't, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how I know that. <laughs> well, now I want to ask now. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah but like back to what Trent was saying about like even about just like um you know you could you would say yeah well I could sit there and pray for an hour especially like if God told me to do that but like God really does tell us to spend time with him like every day and like you don't have to have to answer this question but Trent like do you spend an hour in your Bible every day and I'm like in like it's all of us you know yeah. like you know, you're saying it's just one hour, but I don't spend an hour in my Bible every day. Like, I don't necessarily spend an hour with God every day. And I know he's only asking that uh, them, like, at that one point in time. But, like, really, it's also kind of, like, 
how much time are we giving to God? Like, would we really be able to give him that one hour if he asked us on one point in time? And that, that makes me think, like, everywhere in the New Testament, you see you see Jesus say two things. Okay, it's either ye of little faith, or by your faith you have been healed. By your faith you have been saved. And so, there's not, it's not, there's not a middle ground, you know. So it's not like, oh, I could be faithful, but not faithful. You know, if you're faithful 99% of the time to your wife, that's that's not good. You know, that's <laughs> no. not good. Exactly. You know, and and all she's going to talk about is that one one percent. You know, so I mean, you can walk by a hundred women, and there's that one woman you're not, you know, that you've been unfaithful to from like with your wife. You know, um, but I, I really encourage us, like you know, even people who are listening, but all, even us four here to really start maybe examining our faith. You know, how faithful are we to Christ? And, you know, because sometimes we sin and we don't even realize we're sinning. Like, we're sinning. It's because mm-hmm. we're so, we're so depraved. You know, we're so human. You know, and we're not called to be human. We're called to be Christ-like. And, like, I'm I'm probably the most guilty out of all, us four. I think, honestly, I'm, I'm probably the biggest sinner here. 100%. By far. <laughs> but... You know, it's something that really convicts me. Like now, now thinking about it, is is Jesus either says, "Ye of little faith," or "By your faith you have been healed." You know, and it's not. It's there's no middle ground, and you know, it, it's a big deal, and we should really practice being more faithful. Mm-hmm. And Jesus wasn't asking them to pray for like Jesus's benefit, so like their prayers could give him strength. He was asking them to pray. So that their own faith and their own hearts would be strengthened. Because their world is just about to get turned upside down. Jesus is about to be led away, whipped and beaten and crucified right in front of them. And their faith is about to just go through a shaking like none before. And he wants them to pray just for one hour. Just like connect with God. Connect with me. And just like be present. Because this is all you're going to have to hold you through this time. And they can't even do that. Oh, it's interesting too. Like... During that time that they were in that turmoil of, I mean, the guy that they trusted in was just deceased. Is that the time that they chose to pray? So I think oftentimes that's the time that I choose to pray is when I'm smack dab in the middle of, you know, the crazy. And where's Jesus at? But before the crazy even starts, it's in the quiet of the night that he's in deep distress of prayer. Mm-hmm. Backwards. Yeah, and just to, like, talk about, like, how their faith was, like, tested and stuff and, like, how, like, how traumatic, like, that was going to be that they needed their faith strengthened. Like, then on Sunday morning when Jesus rose, like, they were surprised. (laughs) Like, they'd basically given up hope. Like, he's dead now. And, like, that's it. And, like, the women even went to the grave, like, to, like, mourn his loss and, like, like, do whatever to his body, finish preparing it, I think. And, like... Like, everybody was surprised because, like, that was a time that tested their faith. Like, for those, like, those hours in between, like, him dying and him rising, like, like, I just spent three years of my life wasting it, like, following this guy that's now dead. Like, could be a thought they had, you know? It's just, like, they definitely needed to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, like Camus was saying, to get that strength to, like, hold them over from when he died to when he rose. I mean, can you imagine if they did believe? And, like, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I, I would have been camped out, like, yeah. that night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? like, and okay, just like, no. I got to wait for this to happen. And, yeah. Uh, 
They should have been there at the grave. Like, yeah, like you're saying, if they did leave, they should have been there at the grave when the angel ro- rolled the tomb away. They should have been there waiting. And then comes right out. Ta-da! <laughs> there's not believed. his disciples. If they would have believed, maybe they could have seen that, like him walk out. It's it's, cool. <laughs> it's really funny, though. The Pharisees have the Roman government set guards there because they're afraid that like he's going to rise up or his disciples are going to steal his body or whatever. But the Pharisees, who don't believe he is God, have more faith that he's going to rise up out of the grave than his own disciples. Mm. Oh, that's a really good point. That's crazy. It's like the Gentiles are always calling us Christians out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently we need it. <laughs> <laughs> So let's actually look at the, the crucifixion itself. Yeah. Because another thing that you know, just burned into my brain um, is the phrase that when Jesus was screaming out his dying breath, right? And he says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Right? And really what he was screaming out was Psalm 22. <clears throat> and the mindset that everybody was in um, back then, I mean, Scripture was being quoted all the time. It was so woven into the Hebrew culture that, uh, I mean, people are trying to memorize the Old Testament, essentially, especially the Torah. Um, but the Pharisees themselves would memorize all of the Old Testament, and so just by pre- or just by saying one phrase, then they should be able to pick out the rest of where that's at. You know. And essentially continue on with what you were saying. My phone. And so when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really what he's saying is Psalm 22. Uh, and so every Pharisee that was standing there and rebuking him and accusing him would have heard the very beginning of Psalm 22. Right? And reading the rest of Psalm 22 mm-hmm. right, is exactly that same picture that is on the cross, and those dogs that are after him. Right. You know, essentially just pointing into the hearts of the Pharisees mm-hmm. that I am that dog. Yeah, uh, this is, I think this is my favorite song. You know, and like, sometimes when I read it, I just can't like, stop from crying because it's so emotional. You know, if you, if you could just imagine Jesus saying this, for gods, enc- I mean, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Like that that just points to Jesus. That's not that's that's saying that's saying I am God. That's that's what Jesus is saying right there. You know? And because he's fulfilling the scripture. And and it's a, a beautiful thing to see. And like you said, the Pharisees knew that. You know, they they know Psalms. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, the majority of them were so smart that they could just like spit spit Psalms whenever they wanted. And they they like, they knew what they were saying, yeah. you know. And so when, when they said, when Jesus said that, okay, I, I bet their, their first emotions were, were probably ashamed or... They either got more mad, more angry, you know, either or. And I think it's such a beautiful song. If you guys haven't ever read Psalm 22, go do it. I think Psalm 23 is amazing, but not as not a, not as half as much as Psalm 22. It is. It's beautiful, and it points to no one but Jesus. 
Yeah. But also, like, I agree with you, Trent. But, like, also, like, going back to even just, like, the beginning, like, why, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And then verse 11, like, do not stay so far from me, for my trouble is near, and no one else can help me. Like, you know, like, Camus was talking about, like, the weight of, like, the sins were upon Jesus. And, like, sometimes when the weight of our sins are upon ourselves, because we haven't yet given them to God, that's what we feel. We feel like, God, you were, like, really far away from me. And I know, like, when I was in the depth of my sin, I felt that, like, never before. I was, like, my God has never been this far from me. Like, he, not that he wasn't here, but like his presence wasn't with me as it had been. It was just like, I felt this like emptiness, this loss of just like God not being there. And like, that's what Jesus is like expressing. Like he can relate to us in that moment of just being in the depth of sin and just feeling God far from him. But then like, also like, that's not where Jesus' story ends. That's not where our story ends. Like, God allowed Jesus to go through all of that because there was a bigger picture that, you know, this was the way to salvation. And like, sometimes like, you know, God allows us to go through these sins so that we can come to see like, these things are bad or that we can come to know him more clearly. And, you know, like whether it's sins or whether it's troubles, whatever is making us fear, feel far from God. Like sometimes there's a bigger picture that we don't yet see. Yeah. Our sin has, has a lot of damage behind it. You know, I mean, we even stay in the book of Psalms. You can see everywhere that David is, is battling with the sin. You know, you, you hear him say things like, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, because the sin has pulled him so far away from from God's heart or, you know, perfect communion with God. And he just feels like his sin has, has done so much damage to his relationship with Christ, I mean, with God. But... You know, and there's a song, I think it's, uh, yeah, not I, but Christ in me, or no, Christ alone. One of the verses is, the wrath of God was satisfied through Christ on the, uh, through Christ on the cross. And that's beautiful, because we can have hope in that, that the wrath of God was satisfied because of Christ on the cross. And it's something we just want, hold on to that, because that's, that's the only hope we truly have, is, God's wrath was satisfied through Christ. You know, mm-hmm. it, it no more has to be on me because I'm never going to be able to, to, you know, fulfill God's wrath. Never. You know, and, but Christ did it alone. He did it alone by his, by his precious body and his precious blood. And that should, that should be good news. The gospel, that should be good news. Mm-hmm. And it is good news because it's amazing. Especially with like the concept of wrath being like, so many places in the Old Testament, um, and like usually a reason why a lot of people don't even want to read the Old Testament is because there's, there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, wow, that's scary, or wow, God handles it that way, you know, wow, that's that's a bit too much for me, right? So they avoid it, right? When in reality, it's like, I mean, look at that, like, yes, take His wrath seriously, and look at what like that, take that, apply it to Christ. Right, like that attitude, that notion, apply it to Christ, and it's like, that is what he bore in your stead. Mm-hmm. And then, like, also, like, to speak to that about, like, the Old Testament and stuff, I think, like, sometimes we forget to, like, look at God's wrath through, like, the lens of love. And, like, it's really hard, especially when mm-hmm. it's, like, down upon us. But it's, like, the same thing, like, you know, um, our parents spank us. If your parents spank you, mine spanked me. Um, but so, you know, because like I did something wrong and I need to learn like not to do that. And so like 
they're not doing that because they hate me. They're not doing that because like they just like want to punish me and they just like want to find, they're not looking for reasons to punish me and to spank me. They're like, they're trying to show me love of like, help me to learn. And sometimes the only way that I very specifically me out of the four children in the family would learn would be spankings because I have a thick head. And so it's like the same thing. Like we look in the old Testament, like sometimes through God's wrath, we actually see God's mercy and we can see God's love. Like um, this weekend, we actually heard um, a speaker speaking about like, you know, the flood and like these people were headed to destroying themselves and to wiping out basically all humans, you know, is a picture that you could take from that. And that God in his mercy actually called somebody out and say, chose to save their life so that not all humans would be wiped out. You know, like sometimes we just look and we see all these terrible things, but like maybe we need to reframe it and like look and see like, okay, this is a terrible deed. That's really hard. But look and see where is God's love in that? Where is his mercy? And like bringing that back to Jesus, like in the moment where we see like God's wrath poured out on specifically one person is the moment we see God's love the greatest because Jesus came down and he died for us and he took all of our sins. And the Bible says he became sin itself for us and he died in our place. Like God wants to save us. Like it mentions in Matthew that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That was never a place we were supposed to be. But yet, because of our stubborn refusal to let go of our sin and to accept Jesus, that's where we end up. And unfortunately, then we receive the consequences of his wrath. But he died to take our wrath for us. And that's really beautiful because, like, in doing that, he tore the Godhead asunder. Because, like, they had been in perfect communion and perfect love for all eternity. And in order for Jesus to be sin itself and to die in our place and to take God's wrath, he had to be separated. And for the first time, God was separated from himself. Yeah. I feel like there's a, like, especially a world, you know, they have a bad, bad idea of how God is. And they think like, well, if God's good, why, why would he send people to hell? And the thing is, is he's not going to force anyone to be in his presence. He doesn't want anyone to be forced to be in his presence if they don't want to be in his presence. And... You know, with that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're like, well, I'm a good person. Well, God, God's law says you're not a good person, you know, and you need Jesus. And you know, like, his law has been written on our hearts. So we know what we're supposed to be doing. You know, James 4, 17, a man who knows good and does not do it for him is a sin. And if we're not deciding to do this this, this act of, of, of humbling ourselves, okay, and, and coming to before God and accepting this gift that he has freely given us, okay, then then it's our fault. And he, by us doing that, we are denouncing Christ. We are saying we do not want any part of this gift. And so and because out of love, God's not going to take away our, our free will to choose him or not. And he's going to be like, okay, you wanted that. But listen, I showed myself to you. You know, I made myself evident. You've seen you've seen me through my creation. You've seen me through through who knows testimonies. Okay, but you chose that, and he's gonna he's gonna respect our decision. He just will. Yeah, and it's like no, it's not just that you know, like that we like decide to go to hell and stuff. But like you know, like um, the Bible also talks about you know, like the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
Yeah. And so, but it's like, we work ourselves to like hell by like not letting, not living by the Holy Spirit. You know, we're like, oh, we'll just, I'll do it on my own. I'll be a good person on our own and all of that. But like everything, we just are working ourselves to hell. Like God's not condemning us there. We're condemning ourselves there, Mm -hmm. but he's holding out this gift. He's got eternal life. He's ready to give it to us. Mm -hmm. We just got to take it guys. Because you earn your wages. So you earn hell. But you don't earn a gift. Yeah, it's like kind of correlating with Easter. It's like you know the big st- stigma on Easter is like eggs. You know, there's there's the eggs and there's candy in the egg. And if you don't open the egg, you won't get the candy. And the same thing w- is with Jesus. In all reality, if you don't come before Christ, you're not going to get the gift. He just won't. He's not going to open the egg for you. He's not going to shove that chocolate down your throat. He won't. Mm. He's going to be that nougat inside. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to be. He wants to be wanted. No. (laughs) But yeah. That was funny. I was. I was unsure about where you're going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. You know. You have to open it. You have to accept it. Right. Just like. To this thought of the gift, um, I want to read something from Luke 23, verses 13, and I think down to like 15 or something. We'll see. So, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death was done by him. I therefore chastise him and release him, for it is necessary to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out once, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And then onward the cry out basically just cries to crucify Jesus. But so they have this weird pagan custom that they release a prisoner. And Barabbas is like us. He's like so undeserving and he's got his own problems and he's messed up and everyone can see where he's fallen short and he's fallen on his faith. And he literally deserves death according to the law because he's a murderer and he's gone against the Roman government. Like there is no redeeming qualities that we hear about Barabbas. But yet the crowd chooses Barabbas. Like they have this choice, you know, they can earn their own salvation and go the way that Barabbas goes or they can choose Jesus. But instead they choose Barabbas because to accept God's love and to accept who he is is too insane. They'd rather earn their own way just like Barabbas did. And so we see this exchange happen. And Kylie and I were talking about this and I don't know if she can phrase it better, but we were talking about how like it's an exchange like we are all Barabbas mm-hmm. and Jesus takes our place on our death penalty and yeah because like that day Barabbas like like really they should have chosen Barabbas to die that day like he's this evil man causing and stirring up trouble like the Romans I'm pretty sure wanted him to die and I'm pretty sure the Jews probably wanted him to die like so he should have died that day that's who they should have chosen and like that's why Pilate set him there he's like ah easy decision choose this guy but Jesus died in his place but he didn't just die in Barabbas's place, you know? Like, all of us are Barabbas. He died in all of our places. He didn't, there's no indication that Barabbas ever was any grateful towards Christ for not even speaking up or making an appeal over his case. You know, he had several opportunities to make an appeal and didn't. 
and the fact that, yeah, the, the crowd was choosing Barabbas, I mean, Jesus, he could have opted out really at any time. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. And did Barabbas know that? You know, or how was Barabbas looking at it? You know, because I would think that in the face of death, it's like somebody's going to get the death penalty. You know, it's just a matter of who's it going to be, right? So when you're on death row, I would think that, I mean, are you a little more somber in your thoughts? Or, I mean, what's what's really going through his head? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we're given no indication whether, like, Barabbas, like, learns more about Jesus or even comes to Christ. Like, as far as we know, this is where Barabbas' story is. Like, he takes the get-out-of-jail-free card. He's like, cool, this man's going to die for me. He doesn't even deserve to die. And, like, goes off and continues to murder and do whatever his way. And, and like, like, oh, I got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's how some people, like, treat the gift of salvation. Like, they don't even care about it. They're like, oh, so what if Jesus died in my place? Like, what does that mean to me? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go keep living. And it doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah, Jesus actually saved this guy's living life. Okay, not in front of just him, but in front of everyone. And yet, you don't see anything in the scripture of him even being thanked anything of, of him being shown like no thankfulness at all and like you said we don't there's no like no more accounts of Barabbas in the Bible so we don't know what happens you know is but there's only two options he either turned to Christ or lived in a sin continued in a sin but so it, it's something like we got to make the crucifixion personal if we're not making the crucifixion personal, if we're not if we're not putting our 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 feet in, in the shoes of Barabbas, because Christ did die for us, mm-hmm. you know He has freed us from 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 death. He has, you know, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, and He has He has freed us from that. But now Barabbas has the choice to either turn to Christ or or to continue in his sin, and we don't know what he does, you know. But that's that that it's now our story. Yeah, that's kind of like it's now it's our turn. So to, to make that story. Yeah. Right. Do we exactly. turn to Christ or we, do we keep living in our sins and not even say thank you for this mm-hmm. gift? Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Really putting ourselves in that shoes. Like, you know, like picturing yourself standing there like as Barabbas and then walking away. Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell Jesus, thank you for my life? Like now I get to keep living these years? Mm-hmm. Like... Because, like, really, that's what he is doing for us. Like, we don't see it as, like, intensely as Barabbas literally saw. Like, his life was preserved in that moment. But, like, Jesus is preserving our life, and he will preserve it for eternity. Are you going to say thank you? I think uh, a good picture of this is um, if any of you guys have watched The Passion of the Christ, uh, Brad, in this situation, it's, like, the biggest selling Christian movie that's ever been on this planet. Okay? But... In this, um, in the movie, when when it's when it's in the situation of, of you know uh, Pilate and he's saying, "How about Barabbas? How about Jesus?" and they they vote for Barabbas, this wicked man. They end up taking off his chains and he looks at Jesus. And he gets like this really sympathetic look in his eyes and he looks at Jesus and he continues to walk down the steps, but he turns away and he looks at the, at the crowd of people ch- chanting for him. And, and he's like, hey, he can't even speak. <laughs> and he walks down, he like walks down into this crowd and everyone's like, walk, like they don't even want to touch him. And mm-hmm. he just walks through the, the whole crowd. And because this guy, Barabbas is a murderer, you know, he's probably done a lot of worse things, yet he gets set free. 
I still don't know why. Well, of course, for, for, for the scriptures to be fulfilled. But like, you know, Jesus didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve anything he's going to get. And he d- definitely didn't deserve what he's been given already. You know, and it shows like it's our turn to make the story for Barabbas. And it's, it's our turn to to continue the story that hasn't been put in scripture. And the question is, is are we going to keep our eyes on Jesus or are we going to turn to the crowd and, and go do our own thing? Yeah, just processing deep thoughts because, like, I mean, we look at Barabbas a lot and we're like, oh, yeah, Barabbas, awful human being. But, like, how often do we really, like, put ourselves in the place of it? Like, so often we can see Jesus and we're like, oh, yes, Jesus, love Jesus. Like, he suffered. He did all these things for me. But, like, like he died for us. And, like, we're that sinner. Like, we're the ones. That's the murderer. And, like, sometimes people don't even want to hang out with us because they hate us. Um, sometimes deservingly so. But, like, how often do we put ourselves in that place and realize, but, like, hey, like, Jesus still wanted to die for you in that moment. He still loved you in that moment. And, like, he went through all this suffering and this pain just so he could relate to you and that he could save you. Yeah. And just, like, to kind of change the topic, but, like, not too much. But, like, you know, did Barabbas even realize that Jesus was the Son of God? And, like, it just, like, seems like in this story that all the people that should have realized that Jesus was the Son of, was the son of God, they never saw it. Like, in a lot of different places in the in the first four books of the New Testament, we just see, like, people that shouldn't realize Jesus is the Son of God seeing that. And we see that even, like, at the cross um, in Mark chapter 15, verses 38 and 39. It talks about, In the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw that he had died, he exclaimed, Truly, this, or, this man truly was the Son of God. And just, like, this man is a Roman officer. Like, the Jews knew all of these, like, prophecies and everything about how Jesus was to die. And they just, they should have known it all. And they refused to see. But this Roman officer, who probably didn't study the scriptures, who probably doesn't know these prophecies, he's able to look in this moment and say, this is the Son of God. And Barabbas didn't see that either. He didn't see this as the Son of God. Yeah. And the Samaritan woman, I think at the end of that account in John 4, she kind of makes a very similar declaration. No, that's actually a really good observation. Several Gentiles knew where the religious guys who should have known did not. Well, I I think sometimes that, like, that's why sometimes religion is the best place to hide from God. Because you can do all of the right things. You can study your Bible. You can spend four hours in prayer every day. And you can literally be hiding from God in that because you can be so caught up in the scriptures and what this says or how you're interpreting this or, oh, I'm so righteous. I'm doing all the right things. But like when you're a Gentile and like when everyone rejects you and like spits on you, you have no misconceptions about your like who you are and that you are a sinner. And then when you see someone full of love, like reaching out to you and like touching your heart, asking nothing in return. It's not that hard to put it together and, like, to just see divinity flashing through him and be like, wow, like, this is the son of God. And, like, for that Roman officer, like, the realization, I just took part in killing him. Okay, guys, so why do we celebrate Easter? Like, us specifically, or just, like, everybody in general? What's the point of Easter, celebrating it? I really like um, the idea. So, if you remember in Joshua, 
right, when they crossed the River Jordan and um, God had allowed that passage to take place. And they brought this stack of rocks or they started to stack up these rocks and they did that as a, a memory so that when, every time that they would look at it, they would remember the faithfulness of God. Same thing with like the, the festivals that were established in Passover, which, you know, is Easter um, as we see it. Um, but Passover was one of those in remembrance of something, right? It, it was the re- to resemble the deliverance of the Jewish people from the Egyptian tyranny. <clears throat> and so uh, that Passover lamb, that's, it's all symbolizing Christ. And so when we look at Easter, uh, we are still symbolizing the sacrifice of Christ. It's all in remembrance of Christ. It's really saying, like, why do we celebrate the gospel? You know, we're like, we basically just picked a day where we absolutely, like, this is a non-negotiable celebrate the gospel on this day. I mean, theoretically, should it be every day? Yeah, I hear that argument all the time. It's like, yeah, we should be celebrating the gospel every single day of our lives, right? But there's still something to be set apart for Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think there's actually a lot of value in that. And a lot of the Jewish holidays, like it was a coming together to like build community and like also like a spiritual aspect, definitely, but also like a building of community and a time to celebrate and a time to rest. And so like, just like a special time with family and like to reconnect with God because like in life we get so busy and those are the things we most often forget about. So like Easter's that time to like, you know, like, hey, you know, maybe you haven't come to church in 12 years, but like this is a special day where like everyone goes and like it's supposed to commemorate community and family. So come back. So it's like these big events to like draw people in to celebrate the gospel, but to also like create that community and, you know, like maybe a big evangelistic push or like something to be like, hey, like, why don't you come back? Like, this is a special day. Yeah. And just like, so Dale set me off with the remembrance thing in the stones. Like, I, I that's my favorite thing. That's what I'm always trying to use. Like, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, they're supposed to remember these things that God's done. I'm always tying that back to the gospel or not the gospel, our testimonies, you know, like how we're supposed to remember everything God's done in our lives. And we're supposed to take that on a personal level to like, remember what he's done in our lives. And that's why we should share testimonies, but also like to the Easter thing, you know, like, we need to remember that. We need to remember like what Dale is saying, like God did something for us in our lives. And it might not have been on Easter day um, that he did it for us personally in our life. So like that might not be the day I was personally saved, but like it is the day that like, Christ died to save me, you know, like even if, it's, you know, and so, yeah, we should remember it and just like come together and celebrate it. Like Camus is seen as a community. Yeah, to back off that, um, to pay back off that, I mean, um, all throughout, like for when Dale brought up the Passover, okay, um, that was to represent um, freedom from, from, from the angel of death. And those are promises, like from the stones in the Jordan to the Passover, those are promises that God has given, like, or the rainbow in the sky even, you know. These are visual promises that we get to celebrate, and they're promises to His people, you know, and so like Easter Sunday, we, we dedicate these days because these are individual events that has happened that have that have given us promises, you know. And so this is why we celebrate Easter because, you know, we, we get to have an opportunity to go 
before God and be blameless before God because of Jesus and what he has done on the cross for, for us because he loves us. And, and again, th- this is a big deal because this is what Christianity is all about. about it's all about the cross. I mean, this is what uh, the Bible, Old Testament has been building up to. And so, it's uh, something really, really important in Christian faith, you know, so. And, like, if we do forget, like, Easter, but not necessarily the day, but, like, we forget the holiday and forget what Jesus did on Easter, that, you know, that he died and was resur- resurrected. Like, if we forget that, like, how much of our faith is lost if we if we just, like, oh, yeah, I'm just living as a Christian, but you don't remember and you don't realize and you don't think about the only reason I can be here where I am, the only reason I can be saved is because of what Jesus did. And like the aspect of him being resurrected, like Jesus was a great man and he did great things, but that's all he would be if he hadn't been resurrected. Like if he hadn't raised himself up from the grave or whatever, then he wouldn't be God and there would be no reason to celebrate him. He'd just be like Gandhi or Martin Luther King, like a great man, but soon forgotten. Yeah. I think, um, it, it really shows his faithfulness um, through 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 his resurrection. You know, it not just shows that he was a good teacher. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, he was a good teacher," or he was a um, an activist in his time. You know, but no, this really shows that he was the living God in flesh. You know, he he conquered death. He conquered death. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this is what. Easter is supposed to represent. It's not supposed to represent the eggs. It's not supposed to represent the bunny. It's supposed to represent Jesus. And it's supposed to represent that he's the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that he he, he didn't just beat, beat, beat the world, but he beat death. You know, he conquered death. And that's, there, there's no other person that's ever done that outside of God's power. Outside of God's power. And it's a big deal. And we should celebrate it because that's, that's our hope. That's that's the promise that he has given us through him. And again, that's what Easter is all about. Word. You'll have to edit that out later. No, we'll leave it in. <laughs> Christ and him crucified, but not only that he was crucified, but that he raised again. And because of that, he is God. And that is why he is worthy of praise, celebration, and a holiday to celebrate all that he's done for us in our lives, for our communities, and just honestly throughout the world. So, well, you mentioned praising, and now my brain, but just like learning to praise God for what he's done and learning to like praise him, like verbally or in our prayer life. Like, I didn't realize this for a long time, but like when we actually praise God, there's such a blessing that comes from that. It's like, joy and peace it's not like happiness it's not this temporal thing it's just like wow when i actually take time to like praise god for like what he's done i do receive a blessing because we're made to praise god trent's got one he's waiting for the mic okay so this is um colossians 1 um 119 through <laughs> this is first colossians 1 19 through 24 okay and it says for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
has now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which you have been proclaimed in all creation under earth, which I, Paul, became a minister. So this, this is the hope that Paul is talking about that we have through Christ. And this is this is the reason why Christ died on the cross and not just died but resurrected is to give us hope and for us to, you know, continue in faith and not shift from 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 the hope that the gospel gives, the promise that we have received, you know. And so this is this, this is a again, this is the biggest part about Christianity is not it's not honestly the the, the amazing works that Jesus did, but what he has done on the cross for us with also the life he lived. And that, that that not just shows his faithfulness, but it shows his trueness. It shows that he is truly the living God. And it's beautiful to see because he took his perfect life to then die on the cross for my sins, your sins, all of our sins, and, and hope that we might have faith in that and that we may be able to continue in faith so so that we are reconciled with him soon to come. And, you know, this is, there's no better time than, than now. And it's never too late to turn to Christ. So if any of you guys are ever at that point where, where you've been battling with your faith, you've been walking away a lot of times, you're always one step away from, from coming to the Father. You know, your sin is going to make you feel like you're, you're a long ways away, but you're only one step away. So I encourage you guys to make that commitment or, you know, to, to really find a place where you can have, a, you know, a talk with God, a real talk, a real talk about how you've been living, and, but how you want to live and how He expects us to live. You know, and I hope that you could find find hope and faith in that because this this God's word will set you free when He's dead on the cross will set you free from the death that we all have to pay. We all have to pay someday, and there's hope and there's no there's hope knowing that there is a life after this, uh, a life that we're going to be able to live with Christ and Christ crucified. So believe in that and have hope. Yeah, I like that verse, and I like the fact about like being reconciled reconciled with Christ and like that's what it's all about do you have any last thoughts too Dale um well a picture kind of came into my mind while Trent was talking um and that picture was like it was this highway and you know that the ribbon that's like hey when there's this grand opening of this really popular place <clears throat> there's just they cut the ribbon and all these people are around whatever looks really cool but there's this highway that was just a vacant highway no cars on it, right? And they're cutting the ribbon, right? And Easter literally being that point where it's like through the resurrection. I mean, Paul saw the resurrection is so important that it's like if the res- resurrection didn't happen, your faith is in vain. Um, but the cutting of the ribbon took place and this highway, which was named The Way, um, was made. I mean, it's it's available. It's open. We can take it. It's it's ours. Like it is possible now. Like before, it was not possible. You couldn't. You couldn't get there. You couldn't live the life that you were called to live. And now, it's possible. I like that. All right, and so I guess we're going to close now. And so we just want to give a last invitation to you. If you hadn't really thought about Easter before, take time to read through 
the account of Jesus's last week and just read through Gethsemane and his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's very beautiful. And we touched on a lot of points, but not nearly even half of them. So take some time to read it and just enjoy and soak in God's love. And I think that is all for this week. Thank you everybody for listening and for Trent and Dale for coming on and sharing your wonderful thoughts. So that's all. Tune in next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye.